North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we continue our series on the spiritual journey, and this one is entitled Journey Outward. We're looking what, at what happens in the stages of the spiritual journey when one emerges from the inward journey with gifts to give to those outside. And how those gifts are really not motivated by externals anymore, but a genuine experience of God within. We've got several things coming up. A women's Christmas brunch and um, carols at Pontchartrain Nursing Home. And you can check those out on our Facebook page or NorthShoreVineyard.org. Thanks for listening. this uh, analogy uh, on a couple of occasions. I think it's very helpful that, you know, this will be our first Thanksgiving in like 15 years where we're, or 16 years where we're actually going to be home for Thanksgiving because as a pastor, uh, the only non-religious holiday, which means the only one I can break away from is usually Thanksgiving. Um, And so that's, that's when we usually travel up to Texas. And oftentimes when we're driving up to Texas, we leave, you know, on a Sunday afternoon after church. But when we're finally crossing the Texas state line around Shreveport, um, I'm usually the only one who is consciously aware of the moment we cross from Louisiana into Texas, or as Texans would refer to it, from the wilderness into the promised land. (laughs) A joke, but really. (laughs) Um... And, and, and oftentimes Dina and the kids are asleep in the car because I, I love putting on like audiobooks that are like history or science or something, which keep me engaged but have the effect of putting everybody asleep in the car. It's awesome. And uh, so when we, when we cross into Texas, it is something that I am consciously aware of. But for Dina and the kids, it is a reality that they will wake up to. Uh, when, when we finally arrive. And I think that that's the way that the spiritual journey is for many people. Some people, it's a conscious moment of, of, of stepping from one thing into the next. But like Al shared today, and I think this is true of many people, it's, it's a gentle moving of the Spirit of God over time, so gentle that it might not even seem like something intensely spiritual. And yet, it, it is. And so, but the important thing with whether, whether or not you have this kind of moment where I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, you know, I'm leaving everything, or whether it's been more of a gentle process, that the important thing is when you come to an awareness, when you finally are aware that you are engaging in the spiritual journey to, to be intentional about it, you know, because I, I think the danger is... Um, with with either side, some people will will say, "Yeah, the moment I stepped across the line, journey's over. I I, I found what I'm looking for." Um, but this is why I kind of I I think some of the best theology in the world comes from that old U2 song. You know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I found it, but not completely. So I'm moving there. And so whether you step across the line or whether it's something gentle, that we we have to be people who are purposeful about our journey, the same way that we're purposeful about our marriages and our jobs and things like that, if we want to experience transformation. 
which I think, and I've, I've been trying to make this case the last few weeks, that transformation is the whole point of the spiritual journey. It's not so that we would just go somewhere else when, we're, when we die, but it's so that we could actually be conformed into the image of Christ right here on earth, that we would actually become the, the, the human beings that we were created to be. And so that brings me to today's talk. Um, I put one... I'm going to cover about like six chapters of the Bible today, so I just put one verse on the front, though, because they all wouldn't fit. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A lot of times we hear this word of Jesus, and we we kind of think when Jesus says, uh, you know, abide in my words, we think, well, he means memorize it, you know, memorize the teachings of Jesus, Um, But what Jesus is getting at here when he says, know the truth, it's not intellectual knowledge, although it may start there. But ultimately, the the term that Jesus is using for know is actually to experience truth. You know, I, I knew some truth about marriage before we got married. But about two weeks into marriage, I had to throw all the books away because I, I, I'm in uncharted territory. And all of this stuff was just head knowledge, you know. And, and, but after 20 years of being married, now I have some understanding about what it takes. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, an expert by any means. But there is the truth that we know up here, the truth that we experience. And both of it, is, both parts are important because I think you have to start somewhere. And so we do start maybe with, with memorizing Bible verses and going to Bible classes and all that stuff. But ultimately what Jesus is getting at is that we would actually have a profound experience of the truth within that would actually set us free. And that's what the spiritual journey is about. That it would go from head knowledge to embodied reality, that we wouldn't be just spiritual tourists, which seems pretty popular today. You know, a lot of people love a little bit of spirituality. I'm going to put a little dab of Buddhism, a little dab of Christianity, a little dab of this thing and that thing. And it, it, it may feel like you got a little spiritual seasoning in your life, but ultimately, this is a journey of transformation to experience Christ in the depths of our being so that we will be free. Now, I, I said uh, the last couple of weeks I've, I've mentioned the stages of faith in, in the spiritual journey. And there's, there's plenty of people that have written about this. Scott Peck actually wrote, a, he kind of had his own stages of faith, which was about four stages. And, and I've read other people who have different ones. Um, so a lot of people have written on this. I think uh, the book I've been drawing from is called The Critical Journey, which is a, a fantastic book uh, about the spiritual journey. But the first three stages are this, awareness of God or conversion. So when, when Al talks about, at some point he looks up and he's like, I'm, I'm having a spiritual, I'm having a relationship with God. Well, that's stage one. It's, it's waking up to the reality, experiencing God's truth, and, and, and moving on. Step two would be uh, discipleship. It's when you start taking that initial awareness of God and you want to do something with it. So maybe, so for Al, he was going to a Bible study in his office because where else was he going to go? Uh, He starts going through the Bible study, starts learning more about Scripture, starts interacting with with the body of Christ. Um, Step three would be the active life. And this is where you just start serving in church and maybe doing outreaches and things that, that are not about you. 
But as I've said in the past few weeks, I think most pastors would say the whole point of, of the Christian life is get saved, get discipled, and serve in church, and just do that until Jesus comes back. And that sounds perfectly reasonable, except for here's, here's the thing. That's only part of the journey. Uh, Richard Rohr wrote a, a great book a few years ago called Falling Upward. It's a, it's a, a really good book. It's, it's called Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. Um, and he talks about, he kind of breaks your life up into two, two halves. There's the first half of your life, spirituality, which, which typically goes from your, your you know, late teenage years up through about you know, mid-30s, early 40s. And this is where you're learning the rules, you're, you're experiencing uh, activity, you're, you're doing things, but it's, it's, it's motivated from the outside. So in a sense, you know, like when I first became a Christian, uh, I decided I was going to go for it with all of my heart since I went for, you know, debauchery with all my heart on the other side. I was like, I'm just going to be the, the best version of a Christian I could be, which in my mind was, you know being very involved in church and reading my Bible all the time and praying all the time and all these things, all these activities. But really looking back on it in the rearview mirror, I realized that the same kind of motivation that I had for those early years of Christianity was not much different from the same kind of motivation I had for everything else in life I did before Christianity. I was just going to try to do this Christian thing with all my heart. But it was, it was very external. But then Richard Rohr talks about second half of life, spirituality. And, and this, would, this would emerge out of, um, on, your, on your outline, it says, uh, going from the active life to the inward journey, which includes the wall, and then the outward journey. Um, second, half life of, uh, second half of life, spirituality, is when now it's no longer doing things because of external motivation. Now it is from internal transformation. So now you're not doing things to, uh, to look good on the outside or to, to achieve in the same ways of success that you achieve things maybe in the world before you came to Christ. Now it's coming out of an encounter with God within. And so it's, it's a very different type of thing. And what, what Richard Ward kind of talks about is that in the second half, second half of life spirituality, you arrive at a second naivete. And, and this is, you know, when, when you first become a Christian, like I, at least when I did, but I've seen this over and over, man, it's like, you know, just got this faith in God, but I'm just incredibly naive. I'm just going to run out there and storm the gates of hell and, and no consequences at all. And, and, and so it's, it's very naive. It's, it's blind faith. And that's part of the journey. But when you emerge out of the internal journey, into the external journey, even though stage five may look a lot like stage two and three, now you're coming out of transformation within, and you can hit this second naivety where now you have a childlike wonder, but it's not based on unreality. It's based on actually seeing reality as it truly is because you've been through the fire. See, it's one thing to be blindly naive about stuff, and I'm really good at that, you know, uh, just jumping into things like, ah, it's all going to work out, and then I get my butt kicked, and I I'm, I'm realize, okay, well, maybe it didn't work out as well as I had thought it would on the front side. But second naivety is, is realizing the dangers, the darkness, and the evil out there because you face the same darkness within, and you've confronted it, and you're not living blindly anymore. You're living soberly. You're not denying reality. You're not suppressing the, your you know, stuff inside. You're actually 
able to engage life. But now, even with all the knowledge you have about the evil in the world and the, and the evil in your own, uh, the darkness in your own soul that you've had to face, now there begins to emerge a childlike wonder because you've made peace with these things. You've faced them. You've experienced God's touch within them. It is, you know, on the front side, you have zeal. <laughs> Coming out of, of stage four, you emerge into a zeal that has wisdom and understanding. And that's a very different thing. I look at people all over the world today who are zealous for whatever causes they have. And they're out there protesting and, you know, looking for things to change. But there's not a whole lot of wisdom it's easy to yell at things and, and change our profile of pictures on Facebook with every tragedy and, and, and uh, you know, wear ribbons for different things. That's easy. But to actually go about life in a different way that not only zealously speaks at things, but actually has something to offer that brings change. It's kind of like uh, what Gandhi said, uh, be the change that you want to see in the world. First half of life, spirituality, is, it's, it's, it's very external, but second half of life is it, it's going to be more than words. It's going to be actual transformation. And that's where this whole journey is going. Stage six would be transformed by love, that ultimately we incarnate the very things that we believe maybe on the front side of the wall. Now they've, they've become embodied realities. And, and, and then this whole thing, it, it takes time. It's, it's, it's a process. And part of the reason I'm doing this, this, this series is just so you can know that this, this whole thing's going somewhere. If you commit yourself to the journey, it's going somewhere. So you may, you may not even be on the list today. You may not even have any faith in Christ. Uh, but if you have faith in Christ, you're, you're probably somewhere on this journey. And, and realize that it's going somewhere. Realize that when you hit the wall, it's not the end of the, your journey. In fact, it's the beginning of a new part of your journey. So today I want to look at the journey outward, which is uh, stage five of the spiritual journey. And I, I was going to read a bunch of scriptures today, but I, I hear there's a game on here in a little bit. So we'll, uh, is it a 12 o'clock game? Okay, well. Should I have Shane count up the offering real quick? See where we're at? See if we need to pass it around again? <laughs> okay. So I want to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I would actually love to do a series just on this guy's story because I think it is a fantastic picture of the spiritual journey. It, and if you've been in church much, you've probably heard the story of Joseph. So I'm going to kind of, it's, it, it takes place over about six chapters of Genesis, and I, I was going to read a lot of it, but uh, I'm just going to condense the story and kind of give you the highlights. Joseph was um, the most favored of Jacob's sons. Jacob was, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob was the, the grandson of Abraham, and, and he gets his name changed to Israel, so he's the father of Israel, so to speak. And his 12 sons, sons become the 12 uh, heads of the tribes of, of Israel. So each tribe comes out of one of the sons. But his youngest son was, was Israel, or, or second to youngest. And uh, not, not Israel, uh, Joseph. And... Uh, Joseph was loved by his father because he was the, the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. I ought to do a series on biblical marriage and use this at some point. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, 
He was the son of, of his favorite wife, Rachel, and he was cherished by, by his father because he was also a son that came late in life, you know, so it was like kind of like when things are usually over for having kids, Joseph comes along. So he loved this kid, and he, he played favorites with him. And this is probably not a great idea, folks, a uh, little parenting advice, but he played favorites with him. In fact, not only did he play favorites with him, he made him this uh, amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh, and, and he wore this, this fantastic coat of many colors. And so not only was he, he seen as special by his father, but imagine showing up where everybody else is just wearing drab clothes, you know, in that time of the world, and, and you've got this, you know, lavish, colorful garment on that, that actually says to everybody, I'm dad's favorite. So it, it didn't go over terribly well with his brothers, but what also came along was that Joseph had this gift of, of having dreams and interpreting them. He just didn't have the gift of keeping his mouth shut. Which, which, honestly, this is often where you are in stage one and two of your journey. Like, like, you have no wisdom. So you think, I will just share everything God's telling me, and everybody's going to receive it the same way I did. And he goes out there, and he has these two dreams, and he, he sees his brothers working out in the field. And he says, hey, guys, I had a dream. There was all these, these stalks of wheat, and, and, and one in the middle and, and all these other stalks bowed down to the one in the middle. And the middle one's me, and you guys are the other stalks. And you can tell how that went over with his other older brothers. Yeah, like, but then he goes, I had another dream. And this time, it wasn't just you guys. It was the, the sun and the stars and the moon were bowing down to me. Again, didn't go over very well. And they've, they've just about had it with him. It's, it's enough that their father played favorites and, and gave him this amazing coat. But now he's just, he seems arrogant and prideful and thinks the whole world revolves around him. And so what do his brothers do? His brothers uh, decide one day that they're just going to kill him. And so they take him and they throw him down in the bottom of a well. And uh, they're you know, hanging out there with their brother down in the well, and they're going to go back and tell their dad that, you know, he was killed by a mountain lion or something. And, but then one of the brothers chimes up. They see a caravan coming. He says, you know, <laughs> these are great brothers, by the way. Why should we just kill them when we could make some money? I smell money. We could sell them into slavery. And so they sell Joseph into slavery, into this caravan of, of Ishmaelites that's going on their way to Egypt, and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And then take back his, his coat of many colors and put some goat's blood on our sheep's blood. And then they, they tell their dad that he was, he was uh, killed out in the field, which breaks his father's heart. But Joseph has gone from one moment having this revelation from God, one moment being the favored son of his father, to now he's cut off. He's sold into slavery. And he ends up in... Uh, in the house of one of the ruling officials there in Egypt, Potiphar. And he decides he's going to become the best servant that he could be. Even though he's in a a situation that he didn't ask for, that he didn't desire, he's going to show up and do it to the best of his ability. 
And some of, some of us need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're in a cir- circumstances you have not chosen, you would not wish on anybody else. It's not what you intended. It's not what you wanted. Show up. Show up and do the right thing. Even if you're, even if you're a servant, be the best servant that you can be. And this is what I love about Joseph because even, I, I think, you know, getting sold into slavery by your brothers, <laughs> uh, that'd be pretty good for most of us to just get bitter and ride off the whole God thing. Like, you know, if this is what serving God looks like. But we're going to see this isn't the end of the story. I think probably even worse than being sold into slavery, though, would be the betrayal. I think there's nothing worse that you can experience in your life than betrayal. I mean, that's, that's the absolute worst. I mean, you can experience financial hardships, lose a job, but when you feel betrayed by somebody, particularly somebody who's close to you, because that's, that's when it hurts you. And Joseph is betrayed. He's in Egypt, but he decides he's going to be the best servant he can be. And he, he eventually becomes like in charge of Potiphar's whole house. Now, Potiphar's wife, she's got certain um, pent-up, unmet needs, <laughs> so to speak. And she's like, you know, Joe, man, you're a pretty hot dude. See you working out there by the pool. And, uh, and she, she starts hitting on him. And, and Joseph won't have any of it. And she keeps up. She persists. And one day, she has him in her bedroom and is, is you know, ready to, you know, do this thing. And uh, Joseph runs out of there. And she captures his, his coat. And he runs off. And she starts screaming rape. You know, she's scorned. He's rejected her. And so now Joseph goes from being in charge of all of Potter's, Potiphar's house to being thrown in prison. It's like a bad situation. Got good for a little bit, and now it's even worse. Now he's back in a pit again, and somebody's taking his cloak. But even in the dungeon, he remains faithful to God. And he decides, if I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner that I can be. And so he keeps showing up. And down in the prison, there's these two other characters that are sent there. Uh, one is a, a baker, and one is a cupbearer. Any of you kids looking for a vocation when you grow up? Go to cupbearer school. <laughs> I don't know what that entails, but he was a cupbearer, and they had these two. They each had these two dreams that were were very spiritually significant. And they didn't know who could interpret them. And Joseph says, well, I know how to interpret those. And Joseph basically gives the word to both of them. It was, it was good news for the cupbearer, not so much for the baker. And so the cupbearer actually ends up getting out of prison. And Joseph says, look, I just ask one thing. When you, you get out into freedom, remember me if you can do anything. Well, the cupbearer goes out there and he forgets about Joseph. And Joseph is still stuck down in prison. But one day, Pharaoh has a very troubling dream. And he tries to get all the, the wise men and dream ter- interpreters, interpreters from his kingdom to uh, give him the interpretation of this dream, and nobody can. And this cupbearer all of a sudden remembers, wait, there's this dude down in the dungeon that interpreted my dream. I bet he can do the same. So they bring Joseph in front of Pharaoh, 
And Joseph uh, basically interprets the dream that, that Pharaoh has that there's going to be seven years of bountiful harvest where there's going to be a surplus, more grain than they can handle, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph not only interprets the dream, but he consults Pharaoh on the plan to, of what they should do. They should, just, should set aside the surplus for those seven years, and it'll carry them through the, the following seven years. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he actually appoints Joseph to be in charge of all Egypt, second in command only to the Pharaoh. So again, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's kind of like the title of the Richard Rohr book, Joseph is Falling Upward. <laughs> he keeps hitting one bad experience after another, but he remains faithful to God in the, whole, in the whole time and finally gets to this place of power. And so the story goes that there's a famine in all the land. It's not just Egypt after these seven years of plenty. And then it's so bad in the region that people from other countries start coming to Egypt to buy food from Joseph so they can get through. And one of those families is, is Joseph's own family. His brothers show up. Now, this is the evidence of, of the inward journey of Joseph. And I think all those years, you know, I mean, Joseph, this was, we're talking decades here. So we're not talking, uh, you know, this was just a few years of hardship. He goes into slavery, goes into prison. And then beyond that, you've got the 14 years of, of, of prosperity and then famine. He has been through a very lengthy process, but the evidence that he's engaged in the spiritual journey comes next. The inward journey. Oh, one little thing I missed on here. I love when you go back and read the story, every time that Joseph gets into one of these instances where you just think, this is bad news, it says, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And, and I, I think that's another thing for us to keep in mind. You know, our, our tendency when things don't go the way we want them to is to think that God's mad at us, God's punishing us, we're cursed, we're cut off. And I think, you know, there's many people in American Christianity that if they saw somebody like Joseph who got betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, ends up in a dungeon... They would think, oh, God's mad at him. You know, maybe you should have prayed more, read your Bible more, given more in the offering, and you would have been okay. The reality is God was with him. And now he emerges from this inward journey, and that is part of the, the process of faith. We go through the first three stages, uh, conversion, discipleship, the active life, but then we go into the inward journey. We start facing the things within us. And maybe that's precipitated by, by hitting a wall, or maybe we discover the wall as we go into the inward journey. We start facing our own darkness, our own propensity, our ego, our, our, you know, just these things that have, have kept, kept us bound, out, bound up. But as we experience transformation in there, we will begin to emerge on the other side of the inward journey into the outward journey. And it's this outward journey where we begin bringing the gifts that we discovered in the process to other people. But on the front side of the wall, you know, like I, I remember as a young Christian, like I always felt like I had to evangelize people. I had to do this. It was like external pressure. But now it's not an external thing. It's not like you've got to do these things to make God happy. It's now you've got these things in you that you got to give out. 
And this is where we see Joseph. And so finally, his brothers show up. And this is a, a beautiful story that I'm doing disservice to, but I'll cut to the chase. Basically, what Joseph ends up telling them is what you guys meant for evil in my life, God meant it for good. Genesis 45, verse 8, it says, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph said. God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and all you have will be. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Isn't this a beautiful thing? It kind of reminds me of, I read a a biography on Nelson Mandela a few years ago called No Future Without Forgiveness. And Nelson Mandela was locked up in prison for, uh, I think, like 28 years on Robben Island because he was basically a terrorist on the front side. You know, he was was willing to, to... do violence against the, the whites that oppress the blacks there in South Africa. But when he emerges from Robben Island, a lot of people were freaked out, white people, because they're like, this is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, this guy's been locked up for 28 years. He's going to, you know, it's going to be kill whitey. <laughs> and he jumps out of prison, and he actually leads the nation through a, a, a time of healing because he's actually encountered God in the process. Something's happened in him in that prison. And I would think that had, had Nelson Mandela, and he even said this himself, had he not gone through those almost 30 years of being in prison and that, that work in his heart that nobody else could see, he wouldn't have had the authority to actually lead his nation through healing. And he did. And what we see in South Africa is a, a fabulous thing that, that we, we've seen rarely in history where the principles of Jesus are applied to helping people reconcile. Joseph comes out in the same way. He's encountered God, even though it's nothing he would have ever imagined or chosen. It's dark. It's horrible. Yet, he's experienced God in the process because God was always with him. And he can say to his brothers in the end, at the moment, any of us would say, Joseph is, is justified in seeking retribution. Joseph is justified in having his brothers tortured and killed. He's justified for everything they did to him. At that moment, when we would expect that from him, Joseph says, it wasn't you that did this. It was God. You know, Paul has a line in in, um, Philippians. And I remember as a young Christian kind of being around more, you know, charismatic word of faith, uh, prosperity gospel things, I would often hear, Preachers talk about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Glory to God. And, and what this actually meant, the way that they defined that was, like, you can have anything you want because of Christ. And it's just a matter of belief. That wasn't what Paul was saying, though. When you read it in context, Paul is like, I've learned the secret of happiness. It doesn't matter whether things are going good the way I want them or things are going the way I don't want them. It doesn't matter if I'm prospering or I don't have enough money in the account. I can get through anything. Why? Because of Christ who gives me strength. I can go through anything. That's the secret of happiness. 
If you attach your, your uh, security in life to your, your house and your car and your clothes and who you know, uh, that's shifting sand. You may not always have that. You may lose it. And there goes your faith. But if you have Jesus, he will take you through anything. You can do anything through Christ who gives you strength. This is what Joseph learned in the process. And so instead of being a bitter, resentful old man, cut off from his brothers and sisters, angry, suffering in a prison, he experienced God in that to the point where he could look back and just say, you know, I know you guys meant this stuff. To, you meant to kill me. You meant for, for my life to end and for it to be over. And then you got consumed with greed and just sold me into slavery. But, but I'm gonna look, I can look back on this and see that the Spirit of God was working in this. And that's the most beautiful thing. When you begin to emerge out of the inward journey, when you've gone through the wall, you begin to look back on some of the worst things that you've been through, stuff that you would never imagine or recommend for anybody else to go through, and you can go, God was with me even in that. God was right there. And he carried me. And I think that this is where authority in our life actually comes from. You know, when I've got, <laughs> Dean and I in our marriage, like when we've gotten into a, a, a difficult spot in our marriage, I'm not looking for someone who just has a degree and has a bunch of letters next to their name because they went to college and they got a master's in counseling. Like that doesn't impress me at all. I mean, it's impressive that you could get it. I want to find somebody whose marriage has fallen apart and they got back together and they love each other. <laughs> and we've sought after people like that. If I got into financial problems in my life, I don't want to go to somebody who just has a degree in financial counseling. I want to find somebody who's gone bankrupt and they got their, their finances back on track. Why? Because there's an actual wisdom that is worked into your life through the fire when it comes out the other side. And this is where the outward journey comes to bear. So wherever you happen to find yourself on this continuum of spirituality today, maybe you're in the early stages of you've, you've just become aware of God, great. Maybe you're going through discipleship. Maybe you're, you're engaging in, in ministry and stuff like that, but it's more from external motivations. That, that's fine. It's good to be wherever you're at. Just know that this thing is moving. And that's, that's the whole reason I'm trying to do this. There is movement, and this is going to go somewhere. Now, if you happen to find yourself today hitting a wall, if you find yourself like Joseph in a dungeon or being accused of stuff that you didn't do or without any way to figure out a way forward, what do you do? You keep showing up. and You keep giving it the best that you have. And you keep saying that even if you don't know it consciously, God is with me, and I will look back on this and see that God's with me in the rearview mirror, even if I can't see it right now. Because you will. Keep showing up. Keep showing up to class. That's the one thing when I look at Joseph. You know, and, and there's nothing that can stop you if you do that. There is absolutely nothing that can stop your life if you will just keep showing up and learning. God, what do you have for me today? 
How can I find you in the midst of this? It doesn't make it easy, but it's amazing when you shift your perspective instead of blaming your circumstances and blaming other people and all this stuff for everything wrong in your life when you just say, this isn't what I wanted, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to waste this experience. I'm going to learn whatever God has to teach me. I'm going to become the best kind of person that I can even in these circumstances that I would have never chosen. You're on the journey then. You're moving. Why don't you all stand? Let's pray. God, I just, I pray for everyone gathered here this morning. We... We thank you that you are with us, God. You're with us when we feel it, when our hearts are stirred by worship music, when we're getting revelation out of the scripture. You're with us, God, when we're active in church, Lord, but you're also with us when our relationships break down, when there's no money in the bank, when we're stuck in a job that we don't want to do. Lord, when we've been betrayed, when we've been accused. Lord, you're with us in the good choices we make. And you're with us in the things that we would never choose. God, I pray for for everyone here, no matter where they find themselves on this continuum today. Lord, that you would help us. Give us the grace to keep showing up to class, Lord. Give us the grace to, to stay humble, to keep learning, Lord, what you have to say, God. Give us the grace to find you in the seemingly random circumstances of life, God. Give us the grace to have eyes open to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well.